What's going on, Seven Figures Nation? As always, uh, the Seven Figures Club podcast, our purpose is to help you to build a seven-figure net worth, to build a seven-figure empire. And as entrepreneurs and small business owners, we're always looking for the best place to put our money to work. And with so much uncertainty going into 2024, we've got a fantastic guest who's going to provide a lot of clarity. He's been incredibly successful in the multifamily space. Jason Yerusi is a multifamily real estate investor, founder of Yerusi Holdings. It is a multifamily investment firm with over 3,000 units acquired since 2017. He has built and exited multiple companies in different industries like construction, restaurants, a brewery, and multiple large apartment communities. He's an avid ultra runner and workout enthusiast. I was reading in his uh, bio that he wakes up every day at 4.32 a.m., which is incredible. We're going to find out a lot about uh, Jason's uh, passions and his expertise today. So, Jason, super excited. Welcome to the show. There are over 32 million businesses in the U.S., and over 90% of them will never break seven figures in annual sales. So how do we as entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs break into that seven figures club? This podcast will relentlessly share the secrets, strategies, and tactics I've used to create three multi-seven figures businesses and bring in even more successful entrepreneurs than me to share their inspirational stories and tactics to success. You can create your dream business in life right now. So buckle up and let's go. Thanks, Leo. Excited to be here. All righty. So we always like to begin these shows by finding out a little bit more about your background and maybe some key events in your life that led you to believe that entrepreneurship was going to be the best path for you. You've worked in a number of different industries. So tell the audience, if you would, just a little bit about your background and uh, what led you to where you are today. Yeah. So my dad um, had a small construction company um, that that he did, you know, for the course, he just retired. Right. But I, I started to go in a traditional yeah. route, went to school, went to college, like I was going to get a, a job, but then got to the end of college and I just really didn't have direction. Right. I really didn't have a path. Right. I just felt fulfilled going out and get a job. So I did the non-traditional route. Right. So I moved to New York City and started doing a lot of various things that weren't a wow. full time job. So I started working in restaurants, working in bars. Right. Doing all these things that just kept me active. And with that course here, I started to see the runway of how these things were operated. So I said, well, that's just so interesting. So I went out there, opened up a restaurant, opened up a, a bar, opened and sold a brewery, just started doing these things that gave me more exposure to entrepreneurship. Um, over the course of that, you know, 2010, 2011, Hurricane Sandy happened on the East Coast. And my dad, who had a right. very niche construction business, which actually lifted houses, so would take houses and they would take the frame or the, the, the living parts of the house, raise them higher and build a new foundation under them so they wouldn't flood any, any further. Well, his business went from doing about 12 projects a year to having a thousand calls overnight because of this hurricane that happened. So my, my now wife uh, and my little brother who was working for me in the city at these uh, bars and restaurants, we ended up picking up and moving out of New York City, moving to New Jersey and helping dad take the family business and just, just run it forward, right? So we went from those 12, 13 jobs a year that we did uh, about 2,500 jobs over the course of the next six, seven years. So it just massively exploded. However, the one thing that I kept missing here is that was I, I wasn't controlling time, right? 
every job I did was transactional. Working in the bars and restaurants, you know, if you serve a beer, maybe you'll get a tip back, right? I have to do some action. Same thing in construction. It was so niche. It was so dialed in that we couldn't expand it to bring all these people on because the level of risk was too high. So everything we kept speaking to, like, listen, if you don't want to be working and having your life driven by some having to do some activity, you have to find another way. And the word real estate kept popping up, right? So we did what we thought was logical. You know, my wife, she was pregnant at the time, goes out, gets a real estate license. And I go out there and we start flipping homes, right? We're still doing this very active thing. What we found is that, okay, cool. We were doing good at it. But between the construction business and the flipping, I had actually created more activity. So my goal of giving my time back was going further and further away. We came upon someone who was now at one of the real estate meetings investing out of state. And what they were doing is they were buying single family homes, getting contractors out there to to renovate them, getting a property manager to get it leased and operate it, right? And then doing that and repeating it. And that model really stood out to us because we just saw that as an opportunity to pour ourselves out. So instead of buying single family homes, we started buying two and three unit properties doing that same process. And lo and behold, we start getting distribution, right? We start getting money back. We're like, well, this is interesting. However, it wasn't going to be scalable enough to pull us out of our day-to-day. So I was listening to a podcast just like this, and someone was talking about um, using syndication to buy apartment buildings. I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. And that made all the sense because I had had small restaurants and I had large restaurants. I had small construction companies and large construction companies. It's typically the same process. However, you're able to get more more diversification, more economies of scale, more built, more revenue, right? All the bigger pieces that will build in from a larger company. So we sold off all the smaller properties and went all in in 2015, 16 to learn everything we could about the apartment investing space. And in May of 2017, we brought our first 94 unit, um, which was the first of about, you know, say 30 transactions that's led us to today. Wow. Incredible. Where did you grow up, Jason? I grew up in New Jersey, Westfield, New Jersey. Okay, cool. So grew up in New Jersey, went to the city, uh, worked in the, the restaurant scene there for a while and you're exchanging time and effort activities for money. And then you went and got real busy after the, the hurricane there hit and and uh, did the house raising business. Just massive need right there, especially with all of the East Coast uh, uh, you know, damage done from that storm. And then eventually you're like, there's got to be a better way. So in terms of syndicating, and uh, I, I don't know if you've heard of uh, Bridger Pennington, but he was uh, he, he's a friend of mine and somebody... Uh, Actually, I think I gave him maybe his uh, first uh, first job uh, in college. But he's he started this uh, thing where he helps people create funds, and it oh, sounds like that's what you yeah. did, right? You you said, "Hey, we can leverage, you know, and and deal with much bigger properties, better cash flow, more control, and it's really that leverage that gives you that opportunity." So, what led you? How did you figure out how to create uh, the fund, the legalities of it? To sure. be able to do a syndication. Yeah. And so what we do, it is a little bit different than I think was Bridger it does, is that the fund um, can aggregate. You'll, you'll put money into a fund to go out there and usually buy a select amount of assets. We do it like kind. However, we'll do an offering that's for a specific asset. So when we do a yes. syndication, um, we're raising capital for an expected property that we're going to purchase. And what we did is we just said, who is doing this out there, right? And so we found people that were doing it successfully, went, went out and um, found people that could be a mentor. We also found just other groups that were doing this and just modeled what people were doing, right? This has been done for many, many years. And we we were not going to recreate this. But what we could do is we could say, who was doing it successfully? What did we like about their model? And what could we replicate? 
And doing that allowed us to understand like how to do 12 steps to go from just everything of just finding out what exactly we want, right? So our first building was in Louisville, Kentucky. We said we had to get really solidified about what we were looking for. So we wanted 75 to 125 units built between 1970 and 2005, BC assets, workforce housing that was in the South side, South central submarket of Louisville. So it got us really dialed into the approach. Now in terms of the people, like, okay, who are the team members, right? Well, we're going to need brokers that can help empower us to the deal, insurance people, you know, uh, cost segregation people will also need to have property managers, right? And then on right. our side, you know, like now we've grown a bit, we have a team beyond us, but my wife and I were basically handling, you know, we were doing all the roles, right? So we were the lead generation, we were the due diligence, the asset management, the underwriting, uh, the sponsor, right? The capital, the capital raising, right? That we handled that all on ourselves, right? We've grown that we've brought on more partners so we could scale from there. However, at the time, we were doing all those roles. So learning what we had to do there enabled us to continue to go forward to empower the deal. And then for investors, you know, we just went out at first to our friends and family. Uh, we did a lot of just in, in networking beforehand saying, because it's a new space, it's not something like you hear about like stocks and bonds that, that people usually right. have a lot of attention or a lot of attraction to. We said, listen, we're not going to go and flip a house. We're going to buy an apartment building, right? And this is the reasons why we want to be in this space, right? You have the opportunity to get cash flow, appreciation, both through the market and forced, to, forced through the improvements we make. You can have depreciation, tax benefits. You can have uh, economies of scale. These, we, This is the reasons we love this space. It's performed historically well. And this is how we would treat it if we find a building like this. If you put in, say, $100,000, this is how the return returns work, right? There's something called a preferred return, meaning there's no guarantee of a return, but of that first $100,000 investment, each year, there's preference that you're going to get back $8,000 on your investment between there's any revenue split for us. And so we break it down for them, allow them to take this one sheeter away and say, huh, okay, interesting. And come back with questions if they have interest and we could give them more detail. What we found doing that is it, it allowed our, our network, right? Our investors to get an understanding of how it worked. And we also got a feeling of who would be interested. So if we had so many people interested, we felt like we could raise about $1.2 million. But when we found that first opportunity, we had to raise about $750,000, $800,000. Well, we did that proactively in a day because we had built the framework to have people engaged uh, to understand the process of how it worked beforehand. And so that was allowed us to get closer to the finish very quickly because we had done the pre-work. So for the audience listening, again, a lot, of, a lot of them are very familiar with stocks, bonds, mutual funds. Lots of them have 401ks, IRAs, where they have money invested. And, you know, it's a bit of a roller coaster. Last year, they saw their portfolios take a, a big hit. This year, maybe it's uh, done better. But there's a yeah. lot of inconsistency sometimes with those types of investments. And even at the end of the day, numbers seem to show that you're making about 7 to 8%. Uh, depending on you know when you invest in a 401k IRA that's in you know maybe following the S&P 500 or the Dow or whatever people are following why is it so compelling and what was it that made you and your investors believe that actually we feel like we can get better returns and and have better control and even different than stocks that maybe very few of them pay out some some dividends real estate can generate monthly cash flow uh, make the case for why people really need to consider adding a lot more of their portfolio to multifamily versus, you know, the regular stocks, bonds, and mutual funds that so many people are familiar with. 
Yeah, it's a great question. You know, with with and it's good to have expiration to all of these, right? So, so I'm not going to say one is better than all, right? However, with multifamily, sure. it's a real asset, right? So, with that real asset, it's going to have some sustainable value that's going to carry forth with the project going forward, right? Typically, if you go and you invest into a stock, and if it has poor performance or other things, you know, there is a very quick, you know, from hundred to zero that could happen on a business or just could, yes. a lot of other things that could impact the value. And because of yeah. just how news can set the stage here. Bad news can really have things translate to a bad re, uh, environment and bad response on the stock very quickly, right? Because it's very liquid, right? With these buildings, because they're not very liquid, right? We're putting them in there into a real asset. That real asset has real revenue, has a real business functioning, and it can give real rewards in real time. However, if the market changes and the market forecast for the next three or six months changes, the building's value will hold because there's not this liquidity in, liquidity out. Beyond that, you can get cash flow, as we talked about. About, right, you can get this appreciation where if I go and make a, a select renovation to the building that can produce more revenue, right? So I do something to a 50 of the units that um, the interior renovation turns the rent from going to $800 to $1,200. The building subjectively will, will be much more valuable into the future. There's also ways that you can use um, certain select things in the tax code called uh, depreciation, accelerated depreciation, where we can do a cost segregation study and typically push forward a lot of the perceived losses of the building for depreciation um, to really offset some of the active income or income, depending on how people invest. So it just gives people a lot of ways to win investing in real estate in general, but also multifamily compared with the stock market where you're only putting in a hundred or two hundred dollars or a thousand, two thousand dollars and your your rate of return is based on how the performance is of that company. And if they don't do a good job, you don't have much control to call them up and say, hey, I don't like what you're doing. Right. With multifamily on the other side here, when you look at this, it's that you can also really lower your cost of capital because you can partner this where you know you may get 30% or 35% is coming in with equity and the other part is going to be put on with debt. And the debt, we typically get that at a lower interest rate. So it's able to offset and accelerate the returns. And that's why you can see some outsized returns in real estate compared to you know stock. If you go buy Apple stock, you know, you're typically uh you're putting in hundred dollars to get a hundred dollars of stock back. Yeah, no question. And obviously every investment is unique and different. We're not selling you know, syndicates or, or securities, right. but just going onto your website, I mean, I'm looking at some of the IRR internal rate of return with some of the deals that you guys have done and very impressive 20, 30, 40% internal yeah. rate of return. And it's just very irregular to see that in the stock market. And you, you bring up a really good point that there's so many ways to generate income and, and win with, you know, multifamily with a stock, you know, you buy Tesla, you buy Microsoft, whatever it is, and you're just kind of hoping it just keeps going up and it keeps going right. up. And yeah. eventually someday you're able to sell some of the shares and lock in those profits, or maybe you sell all of them. But I mean, it's really kind of, it either goes up or down and that's really all you got. But when you yeah. invest in multifamily, you're saying you can earn cash flow on maybe a, a quarterly basis that uh, the rents that are coming in, and that can be a, a good annual return. You're still holding the asset. You're paying that mortgage down, that debt piece down. Now you're having more equity that you're earning there. And then typically you're seeing the property appreciate in value uh, in addition. So the property is becoming more valuable. And then explain, uh, unpack a little bit how this works 
when you because it sounds like you're a value add investor. So you find an opportunity rents here. What is the process you're doing to improve that rents? And what are the consequences positive for those that invest in the syndicate? So, you know, if you if you back in re-engineered us, like we want to make this a better place to live, right? And so if you think about this, if I make this a better place to live, right, the tenants will be happier, right? They'll be more willing to to pay a higher revenue, right? A higher rental rate to live there, which will ultimately create more revenue, which can create a higher bottom line, which ultimately can make better returns for our investors. So if you just keep it as simple as that's the approach and that's what our goal is, then we can look for things that fit that. And most of the projects we seek, right, that there's some inefficiency happening, right? So the the owner ownership group has either um, been inefficient of how they've managed it or how they've managed it, how they've marketed it or how they've improved it, right? So we've looked for ways to basically meet and match or and outperform the market through how the building's operated. So it could be as simple as we get in there, we do, you know, fix up the landscaping, redo the parking lot, redo the signage, right? Redo the exterior, right? Re- redo the entire idea of what the building is. It could be that the building has good renovations done, but they've done really poorly and marketing it and marketing effectively and efficiently to the right network through the right marketing channels. And then past that, we will go into units and assess the the level of renovations that are needed to meet and match the market. So once we go through those formats here, so we'll go and do that. But on the same side from the income level, we'll say, okay, they're charging this rent level, but is there anything else that could be maintained or moderated on the rent level from the income side to maybe add on for, you know, bill backs for utilities, or is there any amenity fees, or is there anything else that we could drive to put contracts on that can create revenue? On the expense side, is there inefficiencies in the expense side, right? Are they paying too much for payroll, right? Um, for their utilities, are your utility efficiencies potentially we could get by going to replace all the toilets and replace the shower heads where we can control the water bill? Or is there, are we in a state that is deregulated that we can go and, and get utility broker to just uh, manage to get better um, utility ratings to get lower in, in utility costs, right? Are, are they not tracking their insurance? And so we could potentially get a better insurance quote. Do they have a bunch of contracts Contracts on the property, maybe for you know pest, lawn, trash that they just have been letting renew, and they haven't realized that they've outpriced themselves in the market, right? So you can look at a lot of things in these properties to maximize them, both from the revenue side and from the uh, the expense side, which can drive the bottom line in a, in a huge way. Absolutely, and so you're you're able to then increase rents over time, Correct. and then if you're able to increase rents, what does that do with the value of the property? Yeah, so. Typically, these are treated by um, it's it's through a cap rate, and so what it, what it is is that because debt can be a different proponent on all these deals. Typically, the 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 revenue minus the expenses over the course of a year treats you to a net operating income, and that net operating income is uh, treated by the rate of return that's deemed of that asset class in the market, and that's how they value. So, if you can improve that bottom line and say you know the 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 cap rate at the time is a five percent, right? Well, if you can improve the bottom line by subjectively a hundred thousand dollars you know or five hundred thousand dollars well dividing that by the cap rate improves that valuation tremendously just by being able to add the value to the property exactly right so obviously you know from the the last maybe 12 13 years there's been amazing success and growth with a lot of these syndicates and you guys have absolutely killed it and then, of course, we had the high inflation that started to really kick in in 2021 and 2022. And then the Fed got super aggressive and they increased the, the Fed rate, you know, five and a half percent. And that took uh, a lot of those uh, multifamily rates and, and substantially increased 
those rates. And so a lot of people have felt uncertain, like, is it a good time to invest in syndicates? Is it a good time to look at opportunities? What is your outlook going into 2024 and how have these higher interest rates affected uh, the ability to take on new projects and new syndications? Yeah. So interesting um, times, of course, is that of our offerings, about 75% of them have been syndications. The other 25% of them have just been us or partnerships. And what we look for is that, you know, we believe in the space, right? Multifamily specifically, you know, value add workforce housing. It's it's just not being something that, that's easily replicated, right? But it's the, the biggest thing in need. Like we need like 16 million houses this decade and we're on course to build about 11.5 uh, million, right? So we're at a very big deficit. We haven't matched the number of units needed until this year since 2007. And we're, we're not, and after this year, because of the rise up in rates, hard time again to get labor, uh, supply chain still exists, and just the cost to get out of the ground, right? And the cost of capital to run the project, we're going to go right back to that lack of housing, right? So it's something that's always going to be in need. So it's hard for us to push away. However, when you look at these projects for multifamily, the reason that they have sustainability is that if you can partner this to have long-term debt, with reserves and cash flow, it can always be a winning scenario, right? If we go back to probably your parents, my parents, they were in an interest rate environment, you know, maybe 17, 18% at that time, right? And then there was opportunities that were made today. So we're in a higher interest rate environment, but compared to the past, there's still achievable growth and value that can be added to these properties. However, we found, you know, there's opportunities because not everybody's paying attention to market. So you can still find deals through, through the network to buy things at attractive prices. And assumptions of loans that were, you know, that were put on, you know, two two years ago, year and a half ago, two and a half years ago, now makes a lot of sense. Like we acquired a 32 unit here in my town, and um, the the loan amount was um 3.1 million. I think we have a 3.35 rate on it. Right. And so just a substantially great loan that we're able to assume still has seven years on the loan right oh, there. So we have the opportunity to get into that project and it made a lot of sense for us, and we got great debt. Wow, yeah, that that's incredible if you can get an opportunity to to assume the loan. When you guys look at the the long-term financing piece for uh the properties that you take down, uh, I remember reading the Wall Street Journal a few months ago, a gentleman that had, I want to say, 3-4,000 units uh mm-hmm. in the Texas area and he had foolishly put those on like short-term variable rates and then when rates yeah. went up, literally all those investors lost their money. What is your what is your guys' strategy to minimize risk with your long-term financing? So we right now I only have one floating rate loan of our, our projects and it's been it's ha- it has a cap on it, a rate cap. So we've been in the rate cap since almost we brought it. So the cool thing here is that rate cap aspires out in like a year and a half and we, hopefully we'll be able to move it to a different one. We're actually looking to move that loan because of where the project is earlier as well. Beyond that, we have all fixed rate loan, right? So it's set usually on a five-year window. Um, We've been really proactive of going out to banks because banks, although they may not be the best rate in terms, they're predictable, right? There's some type of relationship. You can go in there, maybe you'll get a five-year term, 25-year uh, amortization, and maybe uh, maybe one year of IO. However, there's not a prohibitive prepayment penalty. Maybe it's one year Right. And what the prepayment building meaning is that when you sell it, unlike your house, right, when you sell it, because they they price in that they're going to make a certain amount of interest, they'll charge you a fee to sell it at a loan early. Right. So if you have like a Fannie or Freddie, an agency loan, it could be you could be paying hundreds of thousands of dollars, a couple million dollars to exit a loan early. Right. Depending on the loan you have. However, with the market is if I went into an agency loan today and and rates drop substantially over the next 18 or 24 months and I was locked into a 10 year loan. 
it's going to be very hard for me to exit that loan into something that would treat me better or something that would be better for the project or even sell. However, I have a bank, the bank is going to be fixed. It's going to be five years fixed, right? I have a runway here to make a good choice that, you know, in a year and a half, two years, three years, like the market's really turned, rates have really leveled off, really gone down. And I've gone ahead of value. I could refinance the loan. I could sell the property, right? Or if nothing changes and rates stay, you know, where they are, stay elevated, I could just hang out, right? And so it gives me the most flexibility to make good business decisions as we head forward. So have these higher interest rates over the last two years led to, you know, uh, different multifamily properties actually losing and being reduced in valuation? I would say there is a, and again, like you, until you get to the sale point, you don't know where the valuations are, but we're seeing people take right. discounts on some of their sale marks, depending on where their debt is. So ideally the, the cap rates have gone up when cap rates go on, valuations go down, right? So depending on where you are in the market right now, if you were to look to exit here, well, then your valuation may be lower compared to where the cap rate was treated when you brought onto the property here. Right. But, and, and again, like you have to look at your forecast is that, you know, if your forecast is sell now, you might be pushed into a place here where you might have to make it a business decision that's not best for the property at the time because you're forced into it. However, if you can keep the runway five to seven years, like a lot of this is that we put these five to seven year windows in because it gives us good flexibility to see where the market lands so we can take, uh, we'll say, advantage of the market, right? We've exited 14 of them and we've done all those between months, I think 13 and 48. And it's because, you know, we've gotten ahead of, of the business plan, market's gotten in our favor or just mixing the reasons, right? And so we capitalize on these, even though the window was five to seven years that we would exit earlier because of where the project stood at that time. So in other words, uh, being able to hold on longer if, if that's required, it puts the odds in your favor to win and to come out with a positive outcome uh, with the investment. Obviously, real estate is uh, certainly dependent on location and it absolutely mm -hmm. is going to depend on location, on, on where the best opportunities are. Going into 2024, a lot of economists uh, feel like the Fed is probably going to pull interest rates back a little bit. Uh, of course, that uh, remains to be seen. But uh, where are the locations that you feel are going to be a good opportunity going into 2024? You know, I, I really am really bullish in the Southwest. So I, I'm in just south of Nashville and Murfreesboro now. I moved down here about three years ago. Um, I've been really honed in and specific. And where I think a lot of the energy can be spent right now is if you are investing, be really hyper-specific on your market and your and your locale, right? So I'm going after the Nashville MSA, but really just the, the, the communities and the counties that are south of it, right? Uh, I have a really good footprint here. I have a really good hold of the market. I have a really good um, you know, pulse of what the market does, but it gives me a lot of opportunity to have runway to know when deals can and will succeed and why they will work. But it, why I like that is there's so many drivers coming. There's just so much infrastructure being built. There's so many jobs coming here. There's so much job diversity, right? So many people moving here, right? There's a lot of things that are going to keep the energy going into this market. So being hyper-focused with this market or your market is going to put you on the best runway to have future success. Absolutely. Well, Jason, at this point, everybody knows there's kind of two ways to do this. They can try and figure it out themselves, or they can work with a, a seasoned professional who's been in this multifamily game, seen the ups and downs, and been extraordinarily successful. For, for the listeners who are wanting to find out more and learn more about the opportunities to work with your firm, what step can they take today to kind of move towards that? 
Yeah, so you can go over to Urusi Holdings. We have an investor portal there. You're, you're welcome to learn more and see more about the offerings we have, see more about some of the past projects we have, right? Some of the things we're working on into the future here. And you can go in and you can also schedule a call with us. You can see about some of the opportunities we're working on, schedule a call with us so we can learn more about your investment goals because ultimately it's going to come down to it is that we want to give you the clarity on what, what we do and why this could be a benefit to see if it's the right fit for you. So we're welcome to have that call with you, see if we can give you some more guidance, see if you can make a good decision on whether or not this could or could not be a great path forward for you. Outstanding. So everybody listening, again, that's Yarusi. That's Y-A-R-U-S-I holdings.com. Go check that out. Get more information. See if this is an opportunity that fits you know, your investment strategies uh, and goals. In my personal opinion, I still see uh, multifamily and, and certain Airbnb properties as maybe the best opportunity. And and certainly lower risk is multifamily because as Jason correctly pointed out, there are millions of homes still needed and living units and not enough out there. And even less now with rates having gone up, it's made it more difficult to build. Now, sure Jason, has. I know uh, something else that you're very passionate about is you've built out uh, a program to help people to achieve their goals in all areas and aspects of life uh, called your Live 100. How does this program work and and what is the 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 purpose or or kind of the uh, the setup there that, that yeah. it helps people to achieve their goals? You know, I, I realized that a lot of where I was in my life is because I had a lot of bad habits, right? My bad habits create bad results, right? And 40% of our day is, is built on the habits. And so if you have bad habits built in your day, it's a recipe for disaster, right? And when you have, uh, of course, 60% of your thoughts uh, are repeated each and every day, if they're negative thoughts based on bad habits here, well, your outcome is your outcome, right? And so the truth was my starting point that I wasn't in a good place, but I needed to be proactive to go out there and set a better future, right? And so I started taking proactive steps to break my bad habits, to build forward a future that I could look to with good positive momentum and then magnify those results. And so the Live 100 principle and, and uh, program here is designed to help people really set a starting line for them, be proactive out of the gate to break their bad habits, put in the right intentional execution and action so they can have a limitless growth to go out there and accelerate where their future should be to create a purpose, passion, uh, gratitude-filled future. Outstanding. Jason, can you share a story of someone who's kind of gone through this process yeah. and what the outcome and result, uh, maybe a case study of, of how sure. this works? Because there's just no doubt about it. Values and principles and the, the way you live and make decisions has a, an incredible effect to the outcomes that you're looking for. If you want to have wealth, if you want to have fitness, if you want the great family life, then it starts with deliberately, intentionally putting that together. Share an example, if you would, of yeah. how this can work in someone's life. Yeah. And so if you want to hear more about what I talk about the program, you go to live-100.com. You can find it there. Um, but we had, had a lady come through the program here and, and she had grown up in a, in a family who was never well off. And they had set in um, you know bad money habits, bad thoughts, not 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 intentionally, but it was just how they had been grown up too, right? If you have someone who who grows up in the Great Depression, like they're, they're going to have certain fears and certain things that are going to come up and you pass along, right? So she came in a program just looking to really just have more impact in the world. She felt she could do more, but she was stuck in a 
rhythm where that rhythm had kept her exactly where she is because she didn't know a pattern that existed that was holding her in place. So we went through the process to have the three foundational blocks met, go through the nine pillars to give her the guidance and the clarity to break through, to go forward, to put on, to leave her job, to go and start a business. And that business helped her get a runway to have a revenue stream. And now she can control, control to help others, right? Her business goes out there. It's a personal training business. She goes and crushes it by having impact in others' lives, right? And something now she's fulfilled doing, she loves doing, she loves to show up each day. And before she was stuck in a life that she wasn't excited about. And all of us should be excited about life. There's no reason that you should be living in a time right now that you get up each and every day and you're not happy with who you are, happy with what you do, happy with the impact you have. And so with Live 100, we help people understand of where their true value lies and the steps they can take intentionally to go and seek that future you. Fantastic, Jason. And so uh, it looks like they could go to live hyphen100.com, live-100.com, just a little dash there. And uh looks like there's a, a, a blueprint or a guide there that they can download for free. Tell us about that. Yeah. So there's an ebook here that, that drives right through the Live 100 principles. So the three foundational blocks and the nine pillars. You go download that today. It's a free ebook. You can dive into the world of Live 100, see how can this be more impactful for you. Outstanding, everybody. Again, not a passive podcast. If you're looking to continue to improve in life and, and be curious and be, become the best version of yourself, then check out live-100.com. Check out uh, that website, download that uh, free guide, and Jason has some outstanding uh, content information for you to take those steps. Because again, the right values and principles that you live by, the foundation, your daily routine, all of those things lead to success in all areas of life. So make sure you guys check that out. Jason, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. The final word is yours, Jason. What's what your final word you want to leave us with? Yeah, thanks, Leo. This has been awesome. Great questions. Honestly, um, you know, most of our life, we think about all these things that we want and, and you know, we have intentions. We all have good intentions. No one wants a worse future, but what holds us back from reaching our future is the action we take, right? So, of course, the result of what you have is going to be led by inaction, right? So if you continue to do not act, well, you can't be accept, uh, disappointed when you can't get the result. But if you go out there and start taking action, there's going to be a couple things that are going to happen. Either you're going to be on the journey ahead, you're going to be great. Two, you're going to learn great questions that will get you better answers because that's usually the thing holding us back is not having good questions to get good answers. Or three, you're going to say, okay, that was not the right way. And you can at least eliminate that way and be on a better path to go forward on another route. Amen. Well, well said, everybody. Take action. Go check out those websites. And we'll see you next time on the Seven Figures Club podcast. Are you looking for more seven-figure secrets, content, or even how you can launch your own recession-proof business? Then check out sevenfigures.com. That's the digit seven, F-I-G-U-R-E-S.com, where we share more videos, stories, strategies, funding solutions, entrepreneurial education, and even the secret business type that's recession-proof. Thank you for listening, and if you're finding value in our podcast, please give us a five-star and invite others to join the club.